Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of Docs After Dark. This is our August 2020 episode, and we're glad to have you with us. We've got a really exciting agenda uh, lined up, some interesting things happening in the world of web-based document automation uh, from our good friends at Woodpecker and uh, Latera. And we've got some good uh, tips for Excel, as well as uh, for you Mac folks out there, some uh, some interesting automation related to uh, Text Expander. We're going to talk about uh, John's recent experience with Express Docs, and then we've got some uh, some good affinity news with respect to some things we're offering related to document assembly. So happy to be here. I am, of course, uh, Jeff Schoenberger, and we have with me Danielle Davis Rowe. And I'm John Federico. All right, so let's dive right in. Um, we're going to start out with some product updates as we normally do. And so, Danielle, tell us about what's new with our friends at Woodpecker. Woodpecker has a really exciting product update that they just released very recently, and that is client-facing questionnaires. So this is something that I've had the majority of my clients ask me about, whether they're Woodpecker users or any other document automation users. How do I get questions for my document automation system to my clients so that they can do the data entry for me? Because let's face it, you're asking these clients to supply you with that information already, anyways. What's the correct spelling of the name? What's their address? What are their children's names and addresses? So to have to double enter that data is a real pain. So Woodpeckers come out with these client-facing questionnaires where you essentially send them by email to your clients or even team members. If you haven't bought them a Woodpecker license, you don't need that for them. You just want them to answer some questions. You can send it to them. Your recipient doesn't even have to have Microsoft Word. Woodpecker Automation is all done in Microsoft Word, but they can answer the questions without ever stepping foot into the Word program. Doesn't require a login for them. Now, all of the questions you send them, all of those fields are going to be required. So you want to be careful about what you send them. You don't necessarily want to send them things like middle names because maybe your client doesn't have a middle name. Those people are out there and they'll be required to answer something there. But otherwise, it's fantastic because they're not going to send you partially completed questionnaires back. They have to answer all of it. You have the ability to pick and choose exactly which fields you send them. So you can have some that you keep in house for you that you don't include on the client questionnaire. You can even edit the field names so that they appear differently to your clients than they do to you when you are drafting your documents. When the client completes it, they receive an email with their answers in a CSV file. And then you receive an email with the responses attached, including a zip file with the document that formed the questionnaire populated with their responses. So it's all ready to go. I am so excited for this update from Woodpecker. So if you've been out there looking for some client-facing questionnaires and you don't already have document automation software, you should definitely consider Woodpecker. That sounds awesome. Uh, a couple of things I always like to note about uh, Woodpecker and Walia, for that matter, is that they do work on a Mac. So if you're a small firm and you want to dive into document automation, I think Woodpecker and Walia are both very approachable. Both work on a Mac if you're in a uh, firm like that. A couple of questions uh, on what you uh, what you said, Danielle. Um, first of all, uh, if you have to fill in all the questions, 
And uh, one of your questions says, do you have other concerns? Can I write in yes? Well, I suppose that depends on whether I have a text field there for you to type yes. <laughs> uh, sorry, just a bit of an inside joke, folks. Uh, and then um, with respect to uh, to getting the uh, the CSV back, is that something that then I upload into Woodpecker or how do I turn, is, is there a way to turn my answers as a client into something that the attorney or the paralegal can use in the document? So the person who fills it out, the client, they receive the CSV, but you as the person who initiated it as the Woodpecker document automation person, you receive an email with the responses and the document that form the questionnaire populated. So you don't have to import that CSV anyplace. It's just for the client's records as to what data they supplied you. Oh, so they'd, they'd essentially be filling out, um, like if I have uh, a list of people and addresses that are going to be the members of my LLC, I, as the client, fill that out on the website. And then I, and then you, let's make it clear, you as the attorney, get back a, an operating agreement where Exhibit A has their names and addresses in the right place. Correct. Yes. Yeah, it's okay. still the, you know, document automation where you can enter, you know, additional fields and all of that, like you might do, you might not send all of your questions to the client, right? So you still have that questionnaire there, but it's pre-populated with their answers, and then you could answer the rest of the questions yourself. Nice. And is there, uh, we know Woodpecker is a per seat, per month license. Is there an additional fee for sending out questionnaires? Because some of the other vendors have had fees that you buy, like a, a set of these questionnaires that you can then send out? You know, I do not actually know that for sure. I would have to double check on their website to answer that question for you. Okay, that's totally fine. In fact, that's a good segue to the fact that in a month or two, we will have uh, Heather, or not Heather, I'm sorry, Helen and Alex from Woodpecker on our podcast. And so uh, those of you out in our listener land, if you have questions that you would like uh, to have answered regarding uh, Woodpecker, send them to comments at docsafterdark.com and we'll put them on the agenda to, uh, to discuss with the uh, fine folks from Woodpecker when they're on our program. Uh, moving on to another uh, vendor that we work with that does uh, some excellent document automation work and that's Latera. Uh, Danielle, what's new with them? They recently acquired Levitt and James. Those of you who work in litigation may know Levitt and James for their amazing tool, Best Authority. Anyone who's ever tried to create a table of authorities in Word natively has probably uh, had to bang their head against the wall a few times. Even when you're using it correctly, it can still be headache-inducing at best. So Levitt and James produces amazing tool, Best Authority, that makes it so much easier to do tables of authorities within Word that work with the native tool. Latera acquired them, and they are now adding Best Authority to the Latera desktop ribbon, integrating it with the litigation companion. So that's a really exciting addition there. They also have added to their DocX Tools Companion a new guided experience, allowing you to accept or reject proposed fixes individually. And then with Metadact, 
they now have feature parity with WorkShare Protect and the ability to quarantine emails. They've also added a new feature to Metadact. They have added an attachment manager that allows you to do things like rename, combine, convert, add a password, cover page, and table of contents to your attachments. They've also added some improvements across the board where you can now access content from Forte in Clause Companion and they've added integration between Clause Companion and iManage. So a bunch of cool new things going on with Latera. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. I'm, I'm really intrigued to try this, uh, particularly the attachment manager there because uh, it sounds like um, a little bit like the PDF portfolios that Adobe did a while ago that you could you know, if you're sending someone six or 10 documents or files, if you could create a table of uh, contents and a cover page, that would probably be pretty handy. Um, so that sounds great. So if you're already in either one of those camps, either in the Woodpecker or the Lotera camp, make sure you're, uh, you're keeping up with the new features and options that are out there. And, uh, and I would just, as Daniel mentioned, I would put in a, a strong plug for best authority as well. When I used to practice, I practiced in the county, uh, well, I guess in the Pellet District here in Ohio, where uh, the tables of authorities had to be broken down by uh, arguments. So if you're if you were appealing a decision and you had argument one, two, and three, it wasn't enough just to list all the cases and all the statutes or the other authorities. They wanted them broken down uh, by arguments. So in argument one, you referenced these three cases and these two statutes and this, you know, um, you know, regulation. And doing that in Microsoft Word involves a ton of work regarding uh, setting up. Uh, I think it was, I don't know, it wasn't different sections. It was um, like different groups of the document. And then you do cross references to individual parts. It was a mess. Best authority does it out of the box it is absolutely amazing for that. So big plug for them. Uh, now we've got a couple of, uh, of interesting things uh, from uh, experience from a couple of our folks here. Um, I'm going to change up the order a bit so John has to wake up. Uh, and uh, since Danielle had the first uh, 10 minutes to herself, uh, John, tell us about uh, your recent Express Stocks uh, work. Sure. So I had, a, I had a demo project I had to put together for uh, involving Express Stocks, and it was a sheet of uh, expenses. Typed them all in and added them up. It, it, was, it, was, a, it, was, a, it was a reasonably you know, large template. Uh, based on the number of entries, but uh, it was a it was a really good experience, and um, we did this in Express Docs, and the, the client's actually interested in integrating Salesforce with Express Docs, and Sales or Express Docs has a native Salesforce integration, which is also interesting. So if you need data out of Salesforce, there's actually a built-in data connector in Express Docs where you can get that data out. So that's that's very interesting, but. Um, the experience was really good. So uh, they've got a new interface for Express Docs that came out with Express Docs 12. Uh, one of the new features is you can now double click on a field and it generates the dialogue uh, to help you get the information in there correctly, which is fantastic. So it was really nice uh, developing in, in Express Docs 12 with using those new features and they've got some, uh, they've got a new ribbon. They've got new uh, a new function bar, which actually or function, uh, sidebar which works pretty much the same same as it did before but it's, it's a little bit improved um, so it was just a really good experience um, but I was able to do you know fairly complicated things fairly easily I had a list uh, of entries and then a subgrid below that uh, that wasn't a problem at all it was very easy to put together 
Um, the other thing that was really nice about it was is the fact that uh, Express Docs works the same both in desktop and on the web. So in this case, we wanted to put it on the web with the Express Docs server. And you can code the exact same template, and it works exactly the same both in desktop and on the server. The other nice thing about Express Docs is I can actually keep all the code in one template if I want to. So I have one file that does everything. It generates the Word document. It generates the interview. It does the whole whole deal. And if, if the interview code gets too big, you can separate that out into a separate file. But for this template, it was nice being able to have stuff all in one file. And then to upload into Express Docs server, it's literally just a drag and drop. There's no special compilation procedure. There's no magic upload link. You just open up the server, go to the right page, and you can just drag and drop it right into Express Docs and use it right from there. So it was actually a really, really nice, painless, simple experience to get the template from my computer up to the web server and then have it launch automatically. The other nice thing about Express Docs and their server product is they actually have a code generation feature. So if you wanted to incorporate the Express Docs template into your website, you can actually click on the template click on some settings and it will take you to a code generation page, which will show you a, a couple of different ways that you can just copy this code and have it work in your web page. So you can do it in iframe and there's some other uh, instances. And in this case, I was able to use that to create a link that pretty much anybody could just click on and get to the interview and generate the document. So um, they've really got some, some interesting features. It's super fast, it's pretty easy. And it's really customizable. So I was, I came away very impressed from that experience. Awesome. Sounds very good. Here, here's a couple of questions. Um, so if, uh, as I remember, and I didn't go to the training uh, that they, the, the folks from Express Docs did in Atlanta a while back, um, but it's all uh, written in an XML inside um, whatever word processor you want to use, right? Right. The tags are all XML based and it's, I'm pretty sure it's probably based on XSLT, but, but um, they've got a, a, it's similar tags to hot docs and they also have an express docs cookbook and they've got some really good help on the web. So if you have any questions or you're not sure how something works, they've got a pretty good help system on the web where you can do a search right there on their website with lots of code samples and things like that. It does work a little bit differently because of that. Um, because of that that XML background, but the nice thing is is that it it literally eats any data that you have in XML and you can turn it into a document. And so, um, is it is it handier, or would you say it would be easier to write, or I guess program a an Express Docs template, maybe in a, like a text editor that did um, I'm thinking like Notepad plus plus or something that would do the highlighting and the autocomplete than it is in a, in a word processor like Microsoft Word? No, I think in this case, because you're creating a Microsoft Word document, it's much easier to code it in Microsoft Word. And the tags, they're XML based, but they're still tags similar to Hot Docs or Contract Express or any of the other systems that are out there. So you still have a set of commands with tags, just that the syntax is very XML-like. But it's still much easier to code that in a word processor versus doing it in a text editor because you need to have the the tags in the document that you're doing. The other confusing thing about Express Docs is the concept of a variable is 
different than in other document automation systems. So what most other document automation systems consider to be a variable is actually called a data element in Express Docs. A variable is sort of more like a uh, local variable uh, in some other systems. So it, it's more of just used strictly for computation. It's not used as a, as a, as a, as a field in the document. All the fields in the documents aren't called variables, they're called data elements. So that's one, one thing to get used to is there's a slightly different terminology when you're using Express Docs versus some other ones. Is that, is that a legacy, is that like a personal choice they made or is that a legacy of, of like being based on, on XML and so on? I, I, I think it's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a matter of being based on XML. Okay. And um, you mentioned that the, uh, that the template that you did uh, integrates with, uh, with Salesforce. How do, they, how do they do that sort of integration? Because, of course, Salesforce is an online system. So I would assume your Express Docs template must also be in the Express Docs online arena so that the two can talk. Or if you have a desktop template, can you make it work with Salesforce? You can make it work with both desktop and in the server and in the server product. Uh, the database components and data components in Express Docs work the same on the desktop as the web, which is which is really unusual and it's it's fantastic. So if you code something up on the desktop, if it uses data elements and connects to a database or connects to Salesforce, then you can also put it on the server and it'll it'll still do that. So it's it's pretty nice. How does the uh, how does the how does um, let me back up there. So uh, so Salesforce is a website. How does if you're on the desktop, how does Express Docs reach out and talk to Salesforce, or do you download a CSV from Salesforce first? No, it's just it has a direct connection. It uses the web APIs. It just it just has a desktop component that actually calls out and reaches out to the web and gets it directly out of Salesforce. Are they? Uh, and now that that um, that sort of uh, piques my my interest as well because. Uh, we've talked uh, last week about your experience integrating, or last week, last episode, about your experience integrating uh, hot docs through SQL and JSON uh, back to Clio. So is it is it possible that Express Docs in the future could create um, other API uh, accessible uh, case management links? Absolutely. I mean, they could they could definitely do that, and I and I believe it's an open API, so you can actually create your own if you needed to. So if um if we had if we had the time, if we had the capacity, say, to uh to write our own API link between uh, our clients' favorite uh, practice uh, uh, management programs and uh, Express Stocks, either uh, hosted on the server or on their laptop, desktop, whatever, that's something that would be possible. I would agree. It would be possible. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's, uh, that's very interesting. Um, I really do like seeing that so many of these, uh, these uh, automation products are thinking in terms of data stored elsewhere than on a server uh, that you control in a data center or a closet, because I think that's pretty much going away. I think it was going away before. And I think uh, the last uh, six months have probably accelerated that quite a bit. Um, so diving in and picking up on a little bit of uh, some uh, simpler automation, I'm going to talk for just a minute about experience um, doing some uh, some HTML work. 
uh, with uh, respect to one of our bar association partners that we're working for. And uh, the reason I'm, this sort of flows from what John was talking about is that um, one of the interesting things about uh, automation is not just putting you know things from a program or from interview or, or questionnaire answers into a document, but you could also um, use automation in the same way that you would use, say, autocorrect or um, auto text sort of things in a, in any program on your phone or your iPad or in a, a limited number, generally speaking, of programs on your computer. And so one of the uh, one of the things that um, has been around for a while on the Mac, and I think three or four years ago, went cross-platform to uh, Windows and to Android is a program called Text Expander. And any uh, legal eagle uh, technology people out there um, who've heard of Text Expander might be familiar with uh, Brett Burney's course. He's got a great course on Text Expander. You can probably Google that and find where that is. And I would highly recommend it. The way I used uh, Text Expander for some HTML work is that uh, there's a lot of repetitive stuff in HTML. And just as, as Sean and I were talking, that you know you could use a program like uh, Notepad++, or in the case, uh, I used BB Edit that's been around for a long time. Uh, it does some autocomplete stuff. So if you do an open tag for, uh, say, a web link, it'll automatically create the closing tag so that you don't end up with, with orphan tags. And that's it's a little bit of an autocomplete. But if you're, if you're rewriting, for example, the same basic uh, code or the same basic lines over and over and over again, uh, for example, you're linking to attachments or PDFs on a website or, or maybe a bunch of graphics. And the only thing that changes is a very tiny portion, like the file name, not even the extension, just the file name. Uh, you can create shortcuts, again, like auto text in Word, so that you hit some keystrokes and everything fills in. And you just get a little fill bubble and you type in the file name or whatever. And so it makes it super easy. Make sure you avoid uh, any sort of errors or, or those orphan tags if you're not using a program that does the autocomplete uh, work for you for those tags. And so if you're interested, I think Text Expander, I wanna say for the Teams version, meaning not related to Microsoft Teams, but meaning you can share the uh, shortcuts among everyone in your organization. I think it's four-ish dollars a month uh, subscription like most software products uh, these days. Um, and I would take a look at that because it makes particularly HTML type stuff uh, much easier and didn't help that I was dusting off uh, 20 year old HTML skills to make that happen. But it looks great and uh, and I would highly recommend it. Did you have any experience writing uh, HTML, John? I do have some experience writing HTML. I just haven't done it in a long time. Is it um, 20 years for you too? Did you have a GeoCities website? I did not have a GeoCities website. That you know, surprises the, me, John. Even I had a GeoCities website back in the day where I wrote my own HTML. All right. I the, I think the last thing I wrote HTML for was probably a um, uh, a Time Matters. Um, I can't remember what they call it off the top of the head, my head, but it was the uh, Smart Pages. So when you click on a Time Matters link, you can have an HTML representation of what's next to that on the matter. And uh, that's probably the last HTML that I wrote, I think. Well, that's a lot more practical than a GeoCities website. Sure. So so what did you have on your GeoCities website, Danielle? I honestly don't remember. I was a much younger person back then. That was a lifetime ago. <laughs> was it uh, links to your favorite um, Backstreet Boys songs? Or were you too young for that? 
No, I'm not too young for Backstreet Boys, but no, it wasn't links to that, but I honestly don't remember. The things I did to pass time in my youth before I had way too much to do. To be a child uh-huh. again would be wonderful. That's true. That would be nice. I wouldn't want to have to go back and relearn everything. But if I could go back knowing now or knowing then what I know now, that would be kind of interesting. Um, I don't know how many five-year-olds would swear like sailors, but there'd be at least one if I went back. Um, so uh, so picking up a bit on that uh, with respect to um, to some old-fashioned things, let's go back to a nice solid desktop application and talk about uh, some new features that Microsoft has put into Excel. Uh, Danielle, take it away. So this feature called XLOOKUP has been on my list, I think for over a year because they previewed it in a blog post a very long time ago. And I very excitedly went into Excel. Um, I've got a Microsoft 365 subscription, should have the latest and greatest, but it wasn't ready for prime time yet. So I've been waiting for this and I finally had a use for it a couple of months ago. And lo and behold, it was there. Every time I go to do a V or an H lookup, which is a vertical or a horizontal lookup, I've always gone to look for the X lookup and it is there and it makes it so much easier to do a V lookup. Basically, it gets rid of the whole table concept. You still use your lookup value. So you say, what do I want to go look up over here? But then I have two separate arrays, one for what I'm looking up and then one for what I'm returning. So I no longer have to go index my table, figure out whether I'm in column two or 25 or whatever the case is. I just pick those two separate arrays. I don't have to worry about if it's vertical or horizontal and it's magic. It also has some cool options to return a specific value if there's no match found. It's got match mode arguments and search mode arguments. I am so excited for XLOOKUP to be out there, but you have to be a Microsoft 365 subscriber to get it. And I'm not sure it's out to everyone who's on the slower update channels. I'm on an advanced update channel, so I get features ahead of the average person. So even if you've got Microsoft 365, you might not have it yet, but it's coming and it is amazing. So, um, not not to put you on the spot, and we, uh, John and I can vamp about um, I don't know his favorite bands of youth while you think about it. Uh, but what's can, can we give the uh, the listeners out in Radioland an example of like how one might use it either in a legal context or any context like uh, I don't know grocery list or uh, kids at a daycare and whether they've had shots or something like that. Um, Sure, absolutely. Uh, In a legal context, you might have a table of different roles or people in your organization and their hourly rates and perhaps a discounted rate, right? Because maybe you do work for nonprofits and you give them a discount. So you've got a column with all of the names of the roles or the people's names, you know, right? Depends how your uh, firm is set up, how you charge your hourly rates, whether it's by role or by person. And then next to that, you've got a column for the regular rate. And then next to that, you've got a column for perhaps the discount rate. And we may want to be someplace else in Excel and we say, oh, you know, what is John Federico's regular hourly rate? And we want to be able to look that up based on John's name, if that's how it's done. And so traditionally we would have done a VLOOKUP. We'd say, okay, go look up John's name in this table with the names and the rates. And then I want the regular rate. So that is in the second column. Now columns in Excel are lettered, right? A, B, C. But we have to think of that in numbers because our table doesn't always start with column A. But 
So if our regular rate's in column two, then it's two. And that's a lot of mental hoops to jump through. So XLOOKUP can do that exactly the same. I just don't need the table and I don't need the column index. So I'd say go look up John Federico. Here's the list of names in this array. And here's the list of rates I want to look up in this separate array. And it just simplifies it. So do you, I mean, I could I could look it up, but I'm too lazy and I've got you on the line now. Uh, if if you've got three columns where you want to, you've got a list of people, list of regular rates, list of discounted rates. Do you, the, is the uh, the argument, so to speak, for the uh, for the lookup, you put in like John's name, comma, and then the column title, like the discount rate? So I'm not quite sure I understand your question, but the arguments are the name you're looking up, where you're looking up the name, and then what you're looking to output that array of the output. So if you're looking for the discount rate, then you would just select the array of discount rates for that third argument. And, and what's the what's the middle argument then? So John's name is the first. What's the what's the middle? Where where the names are located? That array of names. Okay, so the array of names would be, you know, uh, employees or whatever. Is that is that? Sure. Okay. All right. All right, cool. Yeah, that's um, sounds like something even I could handle. It's not as not as easy as auto sum, but but I could get there. Uh, so um, so that's awesome. So be on the lookout for that if you're on, as Daniel mentioned, the Office 360. Or I'm sorry, I guess it's Microsoft now. I'm trying to train myself to be up to date. Uh, Microsoft 365 uh, platform for your uh, your Office applications uh, that should be coming to your Excel. Uh, I would guess no more than six months away if you're on the slowest one out there, as I am for one of my virtual machines. So when I get it, I will tell you all, and then you can go uh, go start playing with it. So very exciting uh, to see Excel uh, keeping up uh, with some new uh, awesome features to make people's lives easier. Speaking of making people's lives easier, if, um, you know, in the past, I think perhaps episode, let's say two or three of this podcast, when it was just... Uh, poor John and, and myself, and we just uh, made jokes about uh, each other going back and forth. Uh, we had originally discussed the uh, the idea of setting up and uh, using gold standard templates. And uh, that's sort of affinity speak for taking everything that you may perhaps want in an operating agreement or um, a will or something of that nature, putting it all in there and chunking it out so that you knew if uh, it was a single member LLC or a multi-member or whatever. Uh, you would have know which uh, paragraphs or clauses to bring in and out. So we've talked a bit about that and go back and see some of our very early episodes with poor audio to, uh, to take a look at that. Uh, but we do have a, a class coming up that's available for everyone out there uh, to take a take part in about gold standard templates. Uh, Danielle, tell us about that. We are doing a gold standard template workshop next week on Tuesday the 4th. Well, actually, by the time this is recording, that will be in the past. Uh, we've already done two of them, but we've got one coming up. So by the time you all get this, that will have passed. But we may be doing more in the future because we've gotten really good feedback. Barron is holding these. They are 3.5 hours of instruction from Barron, starting with, hey, I've got 20 different versions of a will. 
Yes, if you're not someone who has 20 different versions of a will, I have seen it. We've got it for the man, for the woman, for single, for married, for one child, for two children, for three children, all sorts of different versions. What do we do with those? We compare them, we redline them, and then we combine them all into one version of that document so we don't have to maintain similar language in multiple places. How do we annotate that so we can bring someone else on board and they understand when do I select paragraph one and throw away paragraph two or vice versa. A discussion of common formatting issues. Now we've got a full blown Microsoft Word course that takes a lot longer than 3.5 hours. So we don't teach you how to fix all of those, but we discuss best practices when it comes to formatting. And then once we put that all together, how do we automate it with fillable fields from within Word itself without buying any of these document automation add-ons? How do we write a simple macro to turn it into a regular Word document when we're done? Barron teaches all of that. It's been fantastic. We've gotten great feedback. And if that's something that you're interested in, you should shoot us an email at comments at docsafterdark.com because we might be bringing that back due to popular demand. And another uh, great event. This one we're giving you a little bit more time to register for. And uh, for those of you who've been listeners of the show for a while, you probably remember, uh, I don't know if it was, it must have been last year where we did uh, the uh, Hot Docs um, Academy and uh, talked a little bit about that, bringing it back by uh, popular demand. And John, tell us a bit about what we've got planned this year. So this year, the big change for the Affinity Hot Docs Academy or the AHA is that uh, it's going to be virtual this year because of COVID-19 and everything else going on. Uh, it's too difficult to have it in person. So it will be a virtual webinar, uh, virtual uh, webinar series, and it'll be from September 28th through October 2nd. It'll be in the afternoon from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. every day. And we're going to limit it to 15 attendees so that everybody can get some, some hands-on experience and we'll be able to help everybody out uh, with their coding. So it will be in Hot Docs Developer with Hot Docs Classic. So we're not going to cover Hot Docs Advanced yet, although the concepts that you learn in this class will be directly applicable to Hot Docs Advanced. Hot Docs Advanced does have some slight differences, but there's still probably 80 to 90% of everything that you would learn in the Hot Docs Bootcamp in the, or in the AHA, Affinity Hot Docs Academy would be applicable to Hot Docs Advanced. The cost is $4.99. And again, it'll run five days from September 28th through October 2nd, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you're on the West Coast, that you know it'll be in the morning for uh, for you, but uh, it won't be too early in the morning. Uh, we've got lots of topics, and this will this will start from ground zero. So you get an introduction to Hot Docs Classic Developer. We'll talk about how to prepare your documents for coding, all the different variable types and their usage. And then the big sections, which are always conditional text and lists, along with computations, testing, and debugging. And we will have a preview of Hot Docs Advanced and some of the conversion things you have to be aware of. But the focus will primarily be on Hot Docs Classic. So there's still a lot of Hot Docs Classic users out there. So if you want to learn how to use Hot Docs, uh, this is a fantastic way to do it. And again, for $4.99, uh, it's a pretty good deal for five days of intensive training. Plus, on top of that, we will give you up to four hours of support during the two weeks following AHA. So if you're coding your templates and you run into problems, it comes with four, four hours of support uh, built in as long as you use it within the first two weeks. We limit it to the first two weeks because we want you to use your knowledge right away. 
Uh, if you wait six months, you'll you'll probably forget everything. So it's really good that if you have a project in mind, take the hot docs, uh, uh, the Affinity Hot Docs Academy boot camp, and then start coding up your templates. Excellent. Uh, as John mentioned, it'll be in Zoom. Uh, so uh, if you haven't had enough Zoom meetings, get your get your awesome backgrounds ready, and we'll uh, we might even have a background contest. What the hell? Why not? Uh, um, I, that just came to mind because I was talking to uh, to one of our one of our bar association folks. Uh, it might have been yesterday or the day before, and he had been on uh, Zoom meetings, uh, not to a not to do a Xerox thing, but they were literal Zoom meetings for all but a half hour of that day. By the time I talked to him, and he'd gotten in the habit of picking clothes for the day and then getting a background to match. So he was wearing some sort of a vest, kind of looks space cadetish. So we had a nice space background for that day for his Zoom meetings. So um, if you're interested, we've got uh, some giveaways uh, still at the office, COVID-free giveaways uh, that we might uh, put together. And we maybe we'll do a background, a Zoom background contest or something like that. Um, and so, uh, so look for that. Um, and what we'll do uh, now is we'll go to our document fact and we'll then wrap it up. So uh, today's document fact, or the August document fact, uh, does have a particular document because we know uh, John is big on actually having a piece of paper that he can scrumple up and feel warm and fuzzy about. Uh, so um, I did a little bit of research on uh, marriage licenses. And marriage licenses were fairly uncommon uh, until, let's say, the 17th, 18th century. Uh, uh, up until that point, if two people said they were married, the uh, the church accepted that and they said okay you're married uh massachusetts a good liberal town good liberal state was the first to say we want something in writing that the government has that says you're married that says it's okay and so those started in massachusetts in 1639 and have been spreading to other states uh since and of course um the reason that we're doing marriage licenses for the uh, August uh, 2020 episode, Document Fact, is because uh, John and I would like to wish uh, Danielle a happy 10th anniversary uh, for her uh, her marriage. So congratulations, Danielle. 10 years down, God knows how many to go. <laughs> well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, anything you want to say? Uh, does your husband listen to the podcast? You want to give him a shout out or something? Uh, my husband's a bit of a Luddite. He's listened to a few of them, but only if I remind him that things like podcast exist. If he could live in a cave, I think he would. <laughs> Caves are a good place to be these days. I mean, they are. Not since, you know, uh, pre-pandemic, Ted Kaczynski looked pretty weird living in that cabin in Montana. Bet he wouldn't have COVID if he were still alive. <laughs> So um, wrapping it up for our August uh, 2020 Docs After Dark episode number 26. Uh, remember, comments at Docs After Dark if you have any questions or ideas about uh, anything, but particularly with respect to our woodpecker guests coming up shortly. For, 20, for episode 26, I'm Jeffrey Schoenberger. I'm Danielle Davis-Rowe. And I'm John Federico. Thanks for listening. <laughs>